All right. Hello, Christ community. Great to see all of you here. Greetings to those at our West Campus. Uh, those are in our traditions venue and also our friends in LaSalle. I'm so excited uh, about this service and all that God is going to do in our hearts today. He is here and he wants to speak into our lives and bring transformation. So we're in the midst of a three-part teaching series that I'm very excited about because in this series, we are seeing a window into God's heart, a very precious personal window into the heart of this God that we love and that we serve. I remember a few years ago talking with a friend who had um, just months before had lost a child in death. It was, it was a horrible circumstance. And he was sharing with me how he was doing in his grief journey. And I remember at one point in the conversation, he said to me, I just don't want my son to be forgotten. And as I, as I reflected on that comment later, as I reflected on, I realized that I had seen a window into the heart of my friend. He had revealed to me this love, this relationship that was so precious and so valuable that he didn't want this person to ever be forgotten. And what we discover as we read scripture, as we read the scriptures, is, is that God, God's heart functions in the same way. In his incredibly loving heart, he has people. He has certain groups of people that he doesn't want forgotten. People that are precious to him and easily overlooked. And, and so in this three-week teaching series, we're, we're calling this series Not Forgotten. And each week in this three-week series, we're looking at one of these groups of people, making sure that in our hearts, they are not forgotten. So last week, we talked about how God values children and, and how his heart breaks at the number of orphans in our city and our world today. And so we talked about adoption. We talked about foster care and, and other ways that we can move towards children. We can be for children in our city and move towards these children in need. So he doesn't want us to forget the, the needs of the orphan. Well, today, we're looking at another group of people who are often forgotten and who are very near the heart of God. If, if you have your Bible or smartphone, uh, feel free to turn to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3. If you didn't bring any of those things, we'll have it on the screen as well. But in this verse, we see an often forgotten group of people. Look with me at Hebrews 13, verse 3. In fact, why don't we read this out loud together? Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. This is God's word. So who is this often forgotten group of people? It's our brothers and sisters in Christ who are experiencing persecution for their faith. Those who are in prison because of their love for Jesus. Those who are mistreated, being mistreated because they are Christians. Now, for the initial audience that this, that this letter was written to, the initial audience, they would have known specific people who had been thrown in prison. They would have known specific people who were being mistreated for their faith. Many had family members or friends or people from their church community who were experiencing persecution for their faith. They would know them by name. And this is what makes this topic, this is what makes this so challenging for us in our context, because I'm guessing that most of us don't personally know anyone who has been thrown in prison because of their love for Jesus. I'm guessing that most of us here don't know anyone who has been killed 
or maimed for their faith in Christ. And yet there are millions of such people in our world today who have and who are experiencing horrible persecution for simply being Christian. I mean, who can, who can forget the images from 20 months ago of 21 Coptic Christians being led out onto a beach in Egypt where these militant ISIS members beheaded them? Last year, 7,000 Christians were killed for their faith. 7,000, 2,400 churches were attacked and destroyed last year. It is estimated that 100 million Christians are being persecuted right now, being persecuted around the world, 100 million. One of the worst places for this is in North Korea, where estimates are that nearly 200,000 Christians are right now in detention centers. I just read recently that in North Korea, Christians were being killed. Some Christians were being killed recently by being run over by a steamroller and crushed to death. Others have been crucified over open flames or thrown off bridges. Another horrible place for persecution is Syria and Iraq, where believers are being beheaded and tortured for their faith. In India, in the last two years in India, there has been a dramatic increase in violence against Christians by militant Hindus. I just returned a couple weeks ago from Kenya and learned that how in northern Kenya there is tremendous persecution, tremendous persecution against Christians who live in Muslim villages. Again, right now, a hundred million of our brothers and sisters in Christ are being persecuted. And God says to us, I want you to remember them. Hebrews 13, 3, remember them. Actually, he gives a more specific command. Look at this verse again, because he says something more there. Look, look at this. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. See, he's not just talking about a casual remembrance that God's asking us to have. No, 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 it's more than that. It's, it's a heartfelt solidarity. That's what he's asking for. That's what he's urging us to do. A, heart well, a heartfelt solidarity. Remember them as if you were suffering with them. Remember them as if you were in prison. In other words, put yourself in their shoes. Feel what they feel. Let your heart go there. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, part of the challenge is that most of us don't know anyone like this personally. We don't really have any specific names of people or specific faces of persecuted people in our hearts or, or our minds. But, but I want to just do a little to change that, I hope. I want to introduce you to um, two people, a couple of people that, that many of us here know personally. Two of them, that these two have actually been in our church at different times. They've shared here. Um, various ministry teams have ministered alongside of these two men in different contexts. They're dear brothers who have experienced persecution beyond what we could even imagine. So first of all, I want to introduce you to my friend Isla. 
Um, I was just with Isla a couple weeks ago in Africa with a team from Christ Community. Isla leads an amazing church planting movement in Africa where hundreds of churches are being planted in Muslim villages. They are targeting these unreached people groups, unreached villages, places, and they happen to be, these places are very hostile to hospital, hostile to the gospel. Um, he told me to give his, um, to give you his love and greetings um, from him to you as a church. So I want to, I want to do that. So Isla was raised as a Muslim, but he became very sick and he encountered Jesus in a miraculous way, in a, in a very personal way. And he became a Christian. And so he began to take the gospel to these Muslim villages, planting churches in them. And he told me some stories of just telling, telling the stories of the Bible to these people and, and uh, these little projectors that were like hand crank kinds of things. These, actually, they weren't projectors. They were like audio, you know, telling stories, but he would use this hand crank thing and all of that just because there's no electricity in these places. But in one of these villages, um, some of the people there, he, he told me they would just, re where he was planning this church, they would just regularly destroy the church building. So they'd have to find another place to meet. This happened over and over again. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine if, if people just regularly destroyed our church building? That was the context he was planting churches in. One of the villages he planted was a church and was in his hometown. And Isla told me about how um, uh, being a Christian, becoming a Christian was not at all welcome in his family. One of his family members would regularly say to him, your blood will taste good. Your blood will taste good. So pray for Isla. Pray for his family and his ministry. I met many of these church planners somewhere in the class that I was teaching and just amazing people. One of the students told me about how regularly in the village he's planning a church and people would throw rocks at him and his family. He has a wife and a, a one-year-old child. Throw rocks at them, throw rocks at just try to destroy the church building. I met another man named Armanda who is, is, is just basically going out to a region in Somalia and just trying to build relationships and, and just minister there, um, uh, just in some very, very difficult, just building relationships, but very dangerous, very difficult places. So pray for these believers, for Isla and those that he is training and mentoring. Another very good friend of ours is Danny, um, who ministers in a very difficult region of the Middle East. I visited there before the violence and the Civil War erupted, um, was there a few years ago. And I want us to watch a video where Danny tells a bit of the story of the believers there. When the war started, many problems happened, and it's so difficult to continue the ministry. And we know some someday uh, the problems is come inside our homes, not just in our city or in our area. Uh, at that time, I speak to the leaders, and uh, we met together, and I said, as in Acts book, the believers, when they have the persecuted, most of them, they go out of Jerusalem. If you want now to go out of your area or out of Syria to save your families, this is good if God gave you this to do. But uh, we, we must to know maybe one day the problems come 
to our families and to our life. And maybe we will lost our life one day. You know, when I left the room and after time I turned back to see the decision of the leaders, I found 25 people. They stand there and they said, we will not leave, we will continue to serve God here in this area and we will continue the ministry. If we are die, we will go to Jesus. And if we leave here, we will be with Jesus. And you know, but they asked me something to do. They said, if one of our team die, you know we are non-Christian background and no one will take care about our body if we killed or something happened to us. Uh, what we can do if this happened? For that, we buy this land and we built a graveyard. This graveyard for if anyone killed from our team, we can put him there. This is the first building of our ministry. I think it's first uh, happened in Raqqa city in Syria. They give the chance for the uh, Christian. They said to him, if you leave your Christianity now, you can be uh, hold your life, or if not, we will kill you. This, this decision is, you, you know, it's must to, to, to take directly. And most of the uh, Christians said, no, we are ready to die for Jesus. And for that, they, uh, you, you can see many uh, pictures about the Christian, they put them in the cross. And when they put them, many times they put in the uh, area, all the people can see them. To learn the people, if you will be Christian, this is your what will happen to you. Uh, and uh, most of the people, I thank God for these uh, heroes in the faith. They die for Jesus and they put them in the cross. Can you imagine the first building project being a graveyard as a church so that anyone who died for their faith would have a place to be buried? So, I mean, Danny is just a dear brother, and Danny and Isla both, they represent, they're just two people, now you know by name, they represent hundreds, probably thousands of fellow believers who are experiencing persecution just through their movement, their church planning movement, um, people being persecuted for their faith right now. And uh, God wants us to remember our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who are being persecuted. Again, a hundred million, a hundred million um, believers are being persecuted right now. And so pray, pray for them. Let me mention a, a couple of specific practical things we can do to remember them. A friend of mine named Tom Doyle serves with E3 um, Partners, and that's the the group that put the video uh, together with Danny there. And they're focusing, he's, he's focusing on the Middle East. He, he's recently written a book entitled Killing Christians um, that tells some of the stories of these believers. And I encourage you to check out that resource of killing Christians. But when I was with Tom four years ago in Israel, um, he had a very cool practice. I would notice this. He would set his alarm, uh, set an alarm on his watch that would go off every day at 838 p.m. And he would stop right then when this alarm went off, he would stop and he would pray for persecuted believers at 838. So why 838? Well, the 838 comes from Romans 8. 
38, which says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So every day at 8.38 p.m., he is reminded to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who, who are facing death and persecution for Jesus' sake. A lot of times he's in the States when that happens, and, and that's, he, he told me, I was just talking to him on the phone a few days ago, he told me that that's when um, the sun is often coming up in the, in the Middle East. And the day is beginning for, for these believers there. And so so I, I, I emailed him um, last week just to ask him about this. I found out that he's actually created a Facebook page called 838. So if you want to, you can like this page, you can go to this page, 838. It's a really cool site. There are specific prayer requests. There are specific stories and pictures um, to encourage us to pray for the persecuted church. And so I encourage you to go, go on Facebook, check it out on Facebook, like um, 838 and, and be a part of that reminder. Um, and perhaps consider um, setting an alarm or something on your phone. Um, at 8.38 at night, just reminding you to stop and pray with, with thousands of other people, stopping and praying for our dear brothers and sisters. Let me mention a, a specific, a second specific thing that you can do today to make a difference. After the service today in the lobby, you can write a brief letter, personal letter that will be translated and hand-delivered to our friends in Syria, to believers in Syria. So we have cards, we have pens on the tables. All you need to do, just go to any of the tables in the lobby. You'll, you'll see the cards there. You can write the note. It could be a scripture for them. It could be a word that God has given you for them as you're praying. Maybe a, a picture comes to mind or a word comes to mind. But you can, you can let them know today. You can let them know that you love them and you are with them and you are praying for them. Again, each one of these letters, each one of them is going to be translated um, and, and hand-delivered to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Syria. There is also an insert in your newsletter today, and we've just put together, I think the 830 things, 838 things mentioned there, we put together some statistics just to remind you, you can put this insert in your Bible. Um, it's just a reminder that we want to be for our brothers and sisters around the world. Um, and this is one way we can be for them. And so there are some ways, some specific things to pray for um, there. So I want to just stop right now. The message isn't done, but I want to stop and I want to lead us in, in a time of prayer just uh, for our brothers and sisters. So please pray with me. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who right now are experiencing persecution for their faith. I think of the widows of those 21 Coptic Christians who are without their husbands now. I think of the family, the missionaries from South Africa who last year, three of them were killed and the mom is the only one left. Two teenagers, the mom is the only one left, Lord. I, I, we, we pray for these who have been impacted by violence against Christians. We pray comfort, we pray strength, we pray that you would strengthen their faith. We pray, Lord, for your kingdom to come, your will to be done, and for our brothers and sisters that their faith would be strong and they would continue to walk with you even in the midst of persecution and difficulty. Give them grace, Lord. Give them grace and strength 
in the midst of all that they're experiencing. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to remind us to pray for them, that we would stand in solidarity with them, Lord. Thank you for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's another aspect of this remembering thing that I want, us, I want to highlight here. Not only does this awareness of our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world remind us to pray, it also serves to remind us of something else, <clears throat> something that we are never to forget, and that is what it means to truly follow Jesus. See, when we hear about our dear brothers and sisters around the world who are being tortured, who are being thrown in prison, who are being beheaded, who are being beaten, it should serve as a reminder to us of what we have ultimately signed up for. See, to place our trust in Jesus is more than simply a promise of our sins being forgiven. To place our trust in Jesus is to choose to become his follower. See, Jesus' invitation to his disciples, including us, right, was very simple. It was very clear. Follow me. And that, that Greek word for follow is very interesting. It actually means follow. It means follow. It doesn't mean follow unless there's a, a better, more comfortable option. No, it actually means follow which implies that someone else is leading and that someone is Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. To be a Christian is to voluntarily choose to follow our master, Jesus, to align our lives with his purposes and to follow him wherever he leads. That's what it means to be a disciple. Jesus, Jesus was never, never interested in gathering a group, a group of converts people who had prayed some prayer to receive him, but they were basically just doing their own thing. Jesus was never interested in gathering a group of fans, people who like Jesus and occasionally attend church, maybe wear a cross around their neck, but they don't align their lives with him. No, Jesus was very clear. His invitation is to follow him. It is to become his disciple. And here's what we often forget about in our particular culture, in our particular society, where following Jesus is, is for the most part accepted and, and, and protected. Sometimes, here's what we often forget, sometimes following Jesus will mean being mistreated. Sometimes it will mean being discriminated against, perhaps thrown in prison or beaten there are dozens and dozens of scriptures that declare this to be the case. We just tend to skip over these, but they are there. They're there. For instance, the book of just a couple, book of 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to his young protege, and after describing his own experience of persecution, Paul says this, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone who wants to follow Jesus will be persecuted. Or what about Peter's words? Peter's words in 1 Peter 4. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. That's a common theme in the New Testament. Participating, the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. Participating in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. I mean, did you hear that? He's saying, don't be surprised when this stuff happens. It's a part of following Jesus, which is why Jesus himself talked about this all the time. We, again, we often skip over these verses, but they're everywhere in his teaching. And, and even in one of the, the, our favorite teachings, right? In the Beatitudes, right? Right smack dab in the middle of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. And blessed are, are those who mourn. And blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We, we, you know, we, yeah, 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 we get all that, right? And then he says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of their righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I mean, the way Jesus talks about it here, persecution seems pretty normal for a follower of his. It, it is clear from the New Testament, there were many other passages, I didn't have time, clear from the New Testament, the followers of Jesus will experience persecution. Peter says it, Paul says it, John says it, Jesus says it, they all experienced it as well. All of them attest to this reality, which raises a very important and heartfelt question that each one of us just kind of needs to, to answer. Are we still willing to follow Jesus? Are we still willing to follow Jesus? Are we willing to follow Jesus when it means being hated, when it means being beaten, when it means being thrown in prison? Well, what if it means facing death for Jesus' sake? What if you were one of those Coptic Christians led out on that beach several months ago, knowing you were soon to die unless you would renounce your faith. How would you respond? How would I respond? Right before their death, many of those men were saying over and over again, Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ. His name was on their lips. Would that name be on ours? I mean, let, let's just admit, here in America, following Jesus can be pretty comfortable. I mean, it rarely costs us anything, really. Um, it rarely results in personal injury or pain. We, we sort of blend, you know, our following Jesus into our comfortable lives. And the danger of this is we easily, here's the danger, we easily begin to choose comfort over obedience. We obey Jesus as long as it feels good as long as it benefits us in the short term, as long as it's not too risky or too offensive to others, as long as it feels comfortable. When I was doing some research for this message, I, I saw an article about, a recent article about some persecuted believers in North Korea, which I had mentioned earlier, just a horrible, horrible situation there. You'd think these believers would be praying for the persecution to stop, right? They're obviously prayerful people. You'd think they'd be praying for it to stop, praying for freedom, but they're not. One leader who knows many of these believers said, they're not praying for freedom or for money. They pray for more of Christ and to mirror more of Christ in their lives. That's what they're praying for. One of these persecuted believers in North Korea actually was quoted. Here's what this person said. You, he's speaking to us. You pray for us, we pray for you. You have so much. You put your faith in your money and your freedom. In North Korea, we have neither money nor freedom, but we have Christ, and we found that he is sufficient. 
I think we need their prayers. That we would not fall in love with this world, that we would not fall in love with our money, we would not fall in love with our, with our comfort, and instead that, that Christ would be our all. We would be willing to follow him no matter what. Now right now there's a powerful symbol of this that we're seeing in the, in the Middle East in an eerily similar situation to Nazi Germany, the homes of Christians in Iraq are being marked by a, a, a letter in the Arabic alphabet. It's the letter N. It stands for Nazarene, Christ follower. So with, with this symbol, people, people will put this symbol, they'll paint this symbol on homes of people who are publicly identified as Christ followers. And then that home, the people in that home will be targeted for abuse or persecution or murder. And it makes me think of another symbol, a very public symbol that identifies someone as a follower of Jesus. And that symbol is baptism. See, to be baptized is to publicly declare, I'm a follower of Jesus. I fully accept the consequences of being identified as his. Now, for us in America, the consequences of this symbol of baptism, they aren't too severe. But in fact, we, you know, they're celebrated, we clap and all that stuff. But in many places around the world, a person who is baptized is immediately, immediately disowned by his or her family. Disowned. They no longer exist. In fact, sometimes, in addition, just... They'll never speak to them again, but even more than that, sometimes they'll even order them to be killed or punished in some brutal way. Here's an Iraqi pastor. I just saw this. He recently um, wrote this. Last year alone, 93 members of my congregation were killed. The threat is especially great for those who convert to Christianity. I baptize, he says, I baptized 13 adults secretly last year. 11 of them were dead within a week. So without question, baptism is a very powerful symbol to identify a follower of Jesus. And what makes it so powerful is that it's something that was instituted and recognized by Jesus himself. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus himself was baptized. And then he commanded that his followers be baptized in obedience to him. And so we read in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Again, there's that discipleship piece, but the baptism is the symbol of of following Jesus. So according to Jesus, really, baptism is the public symbol of following him. It's not a way to get saved. You know, rather, it's a symbol of salvation, which is why Jesus commands that every believer in Jesus be baptized. It is a it is a way to publicly declare our allegiance to Jesus, that he is Lord. That's why we don't do bab- you don't do baptism by yourself, right? Pouring water over your own head or whatever. Uh, we do baptism in public, in community. It's a public symbol of our decision to follow him, that he is our Lord. You know, in just a few minutes, some people here are going to be baptized as a public declaration of their faith in Jesus. But before that happens... I want to mention a couple of specific 
invitations of response here for all of us. First of all, for those of you here, for, the, for those of us who are already been baptized, you've been baptized, think of baptism as being like that Arabic letter N, tattooed on your life. And let me just ask, are you living as a baptized one? Are you living as a baptized one? Are you living as a follower of the Nazarene? A follower of Jesus? Or is there an area of your life where you're not following him? And you know an area where you know what he wants you to do, but you're choosing to not obey. See, I just want to always remember, remember what you signed up for. It wasn't comfort. That's not why we became a Christian. It wasn't for comfort. It wasn't for convenience. You placed your trust in Jesus. I placed my trust in Jesus to become his follower. To become his follower. To have that symbolically, that end tattooed on our lives. We're his. We're his. So I encourage you, all of us here, as we're maybe watching these other baptisms in a few minutes, remember the commitment you made when you were baptized, what that represented. And if there's an area you need to repent of, you need to say, you know, I'm not following Jesus, and I, I confess that, and I choose to follow you in this area, that we would do that. We would just be reminded of what we signed up for following Jesus. And then we can just ask Jesus to help us do that, to help us follow him. And there's another invitation that I, I want to make. There may be some of you here, and you know in your heart, maybe you're hearing this, you know in your heart, or you're sensing it, Jesus is asking you to say yes to him for the first time. To step across this line of faith and choose to place your trust in him and become his follower. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about being a church attender or whatever, or going to Sunday school or whatever. None of those things cause us to, be, to enter into a relationship with Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done and placing our trust in his work on the cross. So maybe there are some of you here and you've resisted this for a long time. You've just kind of wanted to do your own thing. You've said no to him. Maybe there are some of you here who have been exploring Jesus for a while. But you just know in your heart, today's the day. It is time for me to say yes to him. Maybe your life has fallen apart and you know you need a savior. You want to enter into a relationship. And if that's you, then I want to, I want to stop right now and I want to lead you in a prayer where you can receive Christ. So let's just pray together for a moment here. And if that is the desire of your heart to enter into this relationship with God through Christ, pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy and I'm not. I am separated from you because of my sin, but I don't want to be separated from you. I thank you that even though I couldn't do anything to get to you, you did something for me. You sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me. You gave Jesus, you gave your life on the cross. You paid the penalty I should have paid. You, you paid that price for me. And I choose right now to place my trust 
in you alone. I bring you my faults and fears and failures and doubts and questions. I just lay it all on you. And I now receive your life, your forgiveness, your cleansing. Come live in me, changing me from the inside out. So I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer, help them grow in this relationship with you, Lord. Thank you. Okay, if that's you, I encourage you to tell someone before you leave uh, today. But let me, let me offer one more invitation now. There, there are some of you here, you've placed your trust in Jesus. Maybe you just did it a minute ago. Maybe you've done it recently through our Alpha course. Maybe years ago, you have placed your trust in Jesus. You are a Christ follower, but you have never been baptized as a believer in Jesus. I'm not talking about infant baptism. You know, infant baptism is more an expression of your parents' desire for you, which is, which is fine. But I'm talking about you, you publicly declaring yourself to be a follower of Jesus through baptism. God commands us to do this. It's a command. It's not an option. It's a command once we become a Christian. So if that's you, why not get baptized today? Why put this off any longer? Now, I know sometimes we think, well, I'd really like so-and-so to be here. I'd really like my parents to be here. I'd really like my friends to be here. I get all that. But, I, but I, want, I want to gently remind you, this is not about them. This is about you following Jesus. It's about you obeying a clear command of God to be baptized. We'll take pictures so you can show them later. Um, but why not do this today? You can wait until April, you know, our baptism service is in April. But why not just do it today? Even if you weren't planning on doing this, that's okay. We have extra shirts. We have extra gym shorts, towels. We've got everything you need. You can do this. Now, let me mention one other thing. We're asking that anyone who's going to be baptized spontaneously today, that you be at least 13 years old. The reason is because we want to make sure that children have had time to process this with their parents. We don't want any parents kind of hearing this message and running up to Kids Connection and uh, getting their kids to be baptized and, and the children don't know what's going on, right? Um, so if you are under 13 and because of this message right now, you're feeling you want to be baptized, that's awesome. We encourage you to talk to your parents. Talk with your parents sometime soon, and then if they feel like you're ready, you can be baptized at our next celebration in April. Now, if you're under 13 years old and you came to the orientation last week, that's great. We know you've had time to process this, and so we are comfortable with you being baptized today. So again, to all of us here, is God calling you to be baptized? If you've not been baptized as a believer, is he calling you to be baptized today? So I want us to pray for just a moment, and we're going to take a few moments of silence here, and we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us about being baptized. So Holy Spirit, lay it on our hearts right now if you want us to be baptized. If we have not been baptized, and you're saying, yes, it's time to follow me in this way. So I pray that you would speak to each heart you're calling to be baptized right now. Just speak to them, Lord.